0: We just finished a Daniel series. And in that Daniel series, we started talking about drawing lines in the sand. And we talked last week about when God says no and when God says wait. And sometimes those are two words that we really don't like to hear because we want everything now, and we really don't like to wait for anything. And I think the Daniel series is one of the most uh, beneficial sermon series that I've been able to preach, not just for you, but for me. I preached it to myself every single week, and you guys got the benefit of listening. Before we start a new series, we're going to start it in two weeks, it's going to be called The Team. See, Jesus, when He came to earth to, to provide us His earthly ministry, He picked a team. He wasn't doing it alone. And... Your faith, even though it's personal, even though you have to make a personal confession of your faith by yourself, that means you can't get to heaven on grandma's experience or mom and dad's experience. You've got to have an experience with Jesus for yourself. But walking out your faith was meant to be in the context of being in fellowship with other believers. Paul uses the analogy of the body of Christ. Some are arms, some are legs, some are eyes, some are ears. So your, God's intentions for us to walk out our faith was with a team. And we're going to talk about the people that Jesus empowered uh, to be a part of his team to literally turn the world upside down. So I wanted to do, I wanted to let Daniel soak in and before I just run into another sermon series. And so what I've decided to do is to take the next two Sundays and preach standalone sermons. That means that they're just for this week. And I get to talk about one of my uh, subjects that probably is most... um, apparent to me because I've had to walk through the thing that I'm going to preach to you about today. How many of you have ever failed? Say amen. 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 You know what? Everybody has, except for Jesus, him being perfect. Everybody else on earth has walked through moments of failure and nobody hits a home run all the time. And before I forget it, you know, a lot of times we say goodbye as families move to other locations. Uh, We get the privilege today of saying hello again uh, because Michael Bonsanto and his family are moving back from Jacksonville. So let's welcome Michael this morning. We're thankful to have him back home. But going back to this thing called failure. If everybody's always telling you about the times they hit the home runs and they're the ones that come through in the clutch, you know, they're only telling you the edited story because every one of us fail. What happens when you fail? Where do you run to? See, because there's choices to make when we fail. One of those choices is to hide and the other choice is to reveal. And so I entitled this sermon hide and seek this morning. So touch, no, don't touch your neighbor. Say to your neighbor, hide and seek this morning. All right, let's pray. Father, I ask you today for the anointing of the Holy Spirit to be upon me, your servant, that I might speak your word with effectiveness, with fluency. And I ask for the anointing of that Holy Spirit to enable and empower your word to go forth, that, Father, that touches our hearts and lives today. And I give you thanks for, Father, I thank you for the two people that got saved in first service today. And Father, for those that are going to get saved in this service or or they're going to shed the weight of something that they're trying to hide, Father, I give you praise in advance before we ever get to the end of the service, because I know you're God and I know you can do incredible things. And I give you the praise and honor in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. amen. Let's start out the sermon by, first of all, explaining what hiding is all about. You know, there's different ways to hide. Like when my kids were growing up, they were really, really small and they would get in a moment where they were in trouble or they would get embarrassed or they would be anxious and they would do this. They'd they'd close their eyes and I'd be like, what are you doing? And they're like, you can see me. Because they thought that if they closed their eyes, just because they couldn't see you, they thought magically they turned invisible and that you couldn't see them. That's one way to hide. It's just close your eyes and just be oblivious to everything. Then there's another incredible way. We used to have a family in our church that moved to Tennessee years ago. And they had kids and those kids got jobs and those, they grew up, got jobs. And those kids worked for David Copperfield, the magician. And so David Copperfield comes back to Fort Myers at Barbara Barber B man. And sure enough, Nate or Nick got us tickets and said, pastor, do you want some tickets to the show? I said, of course. So they set us right kind of up in the front, kind of right in this area, about the third or fourth uh, row back at Barber B man, right in the middle. And lo and behold, this guy brings out a live elephant onto the stage. I mean, elephant, like he's not making a mouse disappear. I can close my hand and make a mouse disappear. It it takes a magician, man, to make an elephant disappear. Sure enough, he throws his black sheet, curtain comes up, boom, gone. You know what? That elephant didn't disappear. They hid it. And literally, why they distracted everybody in the audience's attention to this side of the stage, literally, somebody walked that elephant off the stage because it was hidden. That's kind of like what church is like. You ever notice that on Sunday everybody's doing great? No matter who you ask, it's like, how are you doing? Great. And I, it's hard to explain because I get a stack of prayer requests like this thick every single week, and I'm like, everybody I've talked to today was doing great. What's going on here? Wonder what's behind the smile. Wonder what's behind the words, I'm okay wonder what people are hiding because it takes so much effort to hide because hiding is nothing new. It started in the very first few pages of the Bible. In Genesis chapter three, you got a story about a snake coming into a garden. When that snake comes into the garden, Adam and Eve are positioned right near the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, have you ever noticed that temptation comes when you're the most vulnerable? You know, when you're, when you're, you you know, I never, you know, I've struggled before with things in my past. I used to get high, I used to drink all the time. You know, those things were a part of my past. I'm going to explain them a little bit more. But you know what? The devil never, ever said, go buy drugs when my mom was with me. Never, never one time did I get the temptation you know what? I'll just go get high. My mom's here. No, I didn't do that. Can you imagine me going into the liquor store with Arzetta and saying, "Hey, I'd like some of that wild turkey, man." I'm back. My mom would be out there shundying and hunding and pointing her hands towards. Say, I rebuke this in the name of it. Nobody's gonna. The enemy is wise when it comes to temptation. And so they happen to be right next to the tree when the serpent comes in and the conversation starts something like this. Did God really say you can't have this tree right here? And what he's implying is God's keeping you from something pleasurable, something you need. He knows that if you eat of this fruit, you're going to be like him. It's something that you need, man. You will have a better life if you partake of this tree right here. And sure enough, they fall prey to temptation. Eve eats of the fruit. And I know, ladies, you've got a bad rap, and I've preached this sermon before, so just, just deal with your husband this way. Adam was with her. And so if he would have had... And, and I'm, I'm struggling with Adam a little bit. I, I want to reconcile mine and his relationship when we get to heaven because, you know, he wasn't even really courageous. Because God told him, if you eat of this tree, you will surely die. He didn't know if that meant spiritual death or physical death. So he was like, while he was there listening to the serpent with his wife, he's like, okay, you first. She didn't fall over dead. She you know, she, she stood upright and he said, hey, give me something out. Let me try that too. So, ladies, if your husband ever said, you got us into this mess, you just look back at him and say, you were there too and you could have got us out of it a long time ago, but you chose not to. Okay? That's free. That ain't even part of this. But the moment that they partook of that fruit and they were expecting to experience pleasure and enjoyment, they found out that they were sold a bad deal of goods because not only did they not receive enjoyment, but now guilt, sin, rebellion come into the world. Now they're experiencing shame. And I probably am going to say this probably isn't theologically correct, so I'm going to say that up front. But in my heart, God created everything in the Garden of Eden except for fear. That was something that mankind created. Do you realize that never before in the experiences of humanity had Adam ever been afraid? He named the animals, wasn't afraid of any of them, you know. I'd be a little bit jumpy, like, hey, you're a rattlesnake. No, man, I don't don't need that. Hey, you're a lion, they can eat you. You know, hey, you're a tiger, you're a bear, oh my. You know, no, I don't want any of that, you know. But wasn't afraid at all. Would literally walk in the holiness of God every evening, didn't fear one moment of it. You know, just try that on for size for just a second. I mean, how would you feel if God said, yeah, I'm coming to dinner tomorrow night and I know all of your thoughts. I know every word you've ever said. I know all that you've ever done. Good luck, I'm gonna see you tomorrow at six o'clock. You know, no, man, I'd be a little bite, like, have I said anything, thought anything? God forgive me of all my sin. You know, I, I gotta get myself right before you show up. Never once did he become apprehensive, anxious about walking in fellowship with God. Now they take of this fruit, they've been lied to, and now they feel the rebellion, they feel the sin, and they create fear. It said they became afraid and they went and hid themselves. Now it's more than just hiding behind a tree. See, God was walking in the garden like he always did in the cool of the day. And so that means that when he's walking this way, you're hiding this way. And then when he's coming around that way, you're walking around this way, hiding this way. You are in an in active uh, activity of hiding from God. The whole time God is asking a question. He is in the garden saying, Adam, where are you? Here's a red flag for you in your experience with God. If he's ever asking you questions, it's not because he needs an answer. It's not because he needs more information. He's trying to bring, you know he's omniscient, right? That means he's all knowing. He doesn't need you to tell him what's going on in the universe. He already knows. But when he starts asking you questions, it's leading you, navigating you to an understanding about yourself. So why was he asking the question, Adam, where are you? Because he wanted Adam to know that something had happened that separated him from God. It's called sin. And sin now separates. Adam's afraid. He's humiliated. Because when he ate of the the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the Bible says they become aware that they were afraid or that they were naked. Their nudity had never bothered God or them before. But now it does. And now they're rushing to hide it and, and they're sewing fig leaves together, trying to create for them something to cover their shame. Thank you, Mila Rose, for your manning of Papa's sermon. She's saying, Yay, go, Papa. <laughs> They're sewing these fig leaves together. And, and there's a reason why this is a part of the story, because most of the time when we fail, we want to address the symptom, not the issue. They thought that the symptom of sin was their nudity and their nakedness, their vulnerability, their 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 shame before the presence of a holy God. And they're sowing fig leaves together. Their nudity was not the issue. Their disobedience was the issue. And most of the time we as people, when we fail, we look at all of the other things that are the symptoms to our failure instead of really getting to the issue of our failure. So God, they finally realize I can't hide from God anymore and they reveal themselves. (laughs) This worked pretty good in first service, so I'll see if it works good here. Can you imagine God, because God asked them another question on top of that, like, where were you? And what do you have on? I've heard those words before. <laughs> you know, I think I'm looking cool, ready to come to church. I'll walk out. And Michelle goes, what are you wearing? Guys, code, that means change your clothes. <laughs> they either don't match or it doesn't go together. Something's happening there. And he's like, what is this all about? And they go, we were afraid and we were naked. And God asked one more question. Who told you? Why is that so important? Who told you? Who is the voice that now is speaking to your identity more than mine? Who is the voice that's loudest in your life? Who is it that you're now listening to and trying to shape your future with? Who is it that's telling you the things that their voice is louder than mine in your life? And of course, they say it was the serpent. Before I finish this thing, who's talking loudest in your life? Especially when you fail. Who talks to you? Is it your own voice? Is it God's voice? Is it the voice of friends? Is it culture? Because, you know, sometimes friends will want to help you. And they, they want, to, want to encourage you. Well, everybody fails. Don't worry about it. We'll just learn to accept you the way you are. No, look, why don't we just quit failing? Maybe that will work. Well, how do I do that, Pastor? Here they are standing before God and he's asking him, who told you you were nude? And of course God starts the redemptive process. He kills an animal, takes the skin, covers them properly. And starts the analogy of the shedding of blood for the remission of sin. That carries over from generation to generation to generation all the way up to Jesus in the cross. And finally, the Lamb of God goes before the Heavenly Father, sacrifices Himself on a cross to pay for the sins of the world so we wouldn't have to hide anymore. You say, well, Pastor, that's that's a big deal because these guys were trying to hide from the very one that could redeem them. Because they were falling prey. When when they fell, uh, the enemy probably whispered in their ear, God's going to be angry at you, He's going to kill you. He's going to do away with you. And, and I get all the, all the beginning questions like, why did God create the tree? It was to symbolize that we have a choice, that we were made with self-will. And Without that tree, that one rule. You ever notice how man messes things up? God started in the garden with one rule. By the time you get to Moses, there's 10. By the time you get to Jesus, there's 691. Or 619, I think. 619 rules we made up. God started with one. Added nine more. We said, hey, that's not enough. Let's put some more burden on us. Let's get to 619. What is it when God, what would God do if he knew your greatest failure? Think about that for a minute. Because there's another passage in the Bible of a man named David. It's Psalms 51. It's a song that King David sings to God. King David is a great man. He he kills Goliath. He wrestles with bears, lions. He's led the the nation of Israel back into worship to the true God. He's danced before the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant does come back to Jerusalem. But you know what? David even failed. Look at the person next to you. The same one you told earlier, hide and seek. Look at them and say, everyone fails. Even great people fail. Here's this man. He's king. I'm going to add a little flavor to the soup this morning. Because I felt like the Holy Spirit kind of spoke to me about some of this passage. And so I'm not going to say it's theology. I'm going to say it's what God revealed to me. He really messes up when he sees a woman taking a bath. Her name is Bathsheba. She's a beautiful woman. But how many of you bathe at the same time every day or about the same time? You know, some people are morning showers. They get up in the morning, they want to refresh themselves, they want to wake up, they get a shower, a cup of coffee, off to work they go. Other people, like myself, I like to do that right before I go to bed. I like to be clean, fresh, jump into bed. But I I normally, other than rare occasions, take my showers or baths, At the same time. How many of you do that? Say amen. Amen. Yeah. See, I don't think it's the first time he saw Bathsheba bathe. He found out that he could go to his roof, get a free show. And she was beautiful. And he's like, who is that woman? She is beautiful. Go find her and bring her to the palace. I'd like to meet her. I'm the king. Then God shows up after he has failed miserably. God shows up. You ever wonder how God can come into your life and just know your business? The prophet, now, God has sent a prophet to David before. His name was Samuel. He had a horn of oil, told a 15, 16-year-old kid, you're going to be the next king of Israel. Dumped it on his head, and he smelled like a king, but he acted like a shepherd. This time, the prophet's not named Samuel. The prophet's named Nathan. He says, King, I got a story for you. He said, tell it. He said, man, I'm ready for a good story. He says this, there's a guy in the kingdom had thousands of sheep. There was another guy in the kingdom that had one sheep. And the guy that had a thousand sheep went and stole the one sheep away from the guy. Now he has no sheep. David gets so mad. He says, Nathan, tell me who it is. I'm going to bring justice to this situation. And he goes, the man's you. Now here you are. You've done things that you can't undo. You've said things that you can't unsay. And you've got a choice. If I run to God, you have to conquer the voice in your head. That says God's going to reject you. God's going to hate you. God may kill you. But he's certainly going to be angry at you. Or you could say, I've got to get to God because it's the only place I can really be made whole. See, a lot of times, let's go back to what I said earlier so I could tie these two things together to wrap this sermon up. What would you have fixed if you were David? I wouldn't have went to the roof, right? I'd have stayed off the roof. That would have only cured the symptom. It's the fig leaves. It wasn't Bathsheba that was the issue. It was the lust in his heart that was the issue. And God was ready to deal with something in his heart. So David now is running to God for forgiveness for the restoration of failure. And he writes this psalm. It's a song that he is going to sing to God after he has failed. And the song starts out like this in Psalms 51, 1 and 2. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Now, you have to remember, he's not writing, he is a king writing the song to God, but he's not writing it as a king, he's writing it as a shepherd. How do you know, pastor? Because of the next verses. How many of you know what color a lamb is? White. There is some black sheep, but they're mostly white. That's the nature of the animal. Okay, so he says this Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Okay, first of all, David is Jewish, probably brown. So he's not telling him, Make me white. He's saying, I'm like a lamb in your flock. And I've become dirtied by the elements. So you as a shepherd come to your lamb and make me clean. Anoint me, wash me. He's not saying that uh, that he wants to be whiter than snow. He's telling telling God as he's singing, I am a lamb in your flock. You say, how do you know that? Because of the bones. I'm going to read it to you. It says, let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Wait a minute. God's going to break some bones. You better believe it. Yep. Sometimes our sin hurts. And so let me give you the analogy. He's telling God, he's singing to him out of his own personal experience because he used to be a shepherd. And he's saying this. Pretend I'm a little lamb. I'm in the shepherd's flock. I have a tendency to run away. So shepherd's not paying attention. I find myself over here. Flock's over there. Over here, there's lions, bears, tigers, wolves. Things that eat little lambs. So the shepherd comes over and says, little lamb, what are you doing all the way over here? And he leads it back. You know how he leads it back? With that stick in his hand. He bops it on the head. Bop. That little lamb runs back over here. <laughs> I'm never going to leave again. I got bopped in the head. Sure enough, the grass looks greener over there. da 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 Here I am again. Here comes the shepherd. You know what he does? He prays for him. No, he bops him in the head again. Little lamb runs back over. <laughs> Third time, little lamb runs back over. He's expecting, oh man, I'm tough now. I've got a couple bops on the head. I can, I can handle a bop on the head. This time, shepherd doesn't bop him on the head, picks him up, breaks his leg. Doesn't that sound hard? Doesn't that sound rough? God breaking a leg. Man, God shouldn't do that. I didn't preach this in first service, but I'm going to preach it now, okay? I'm live on camera now. Y'all can send me the emails. I am sick and tired of this cancel culture that wants to cancel people out because they say things that are on one side of an opinion or another. It's like you can't have an opinion anymore. I'm not asking them to make it their opinion. I'm just telling them what my opinion is. And they're trying to count. They say, well, you're just abusive, verbally abusive. Man, if I'm screaming at you, don't scream at them, pastor. If you're headed towards a cliff, I may have to scream. Because I'm doing the right thing by saying, don't go that way. There's a cliff over there. Stop. I started silent, stop, don't run over there, don't run that way, don't drive that way, don't do that. And the more they get closer to the edge, I have to get more loud. We call that verbal abusiveness. You want me to tell you? I'm going to look right in the camera for this. This is good preaching right here. Here it is. For all of you cancel culture, don't worry when somebody's raising their voice because you would think that a shepherd breaking a lamb's leg is abusive, but letting them get eat up silent is more abusive than you going over there and breaking their leg. Because if you don't break their leg, they're going to keep running away and they're going to get eat up. And David knows this about shepherding. And he says, God, I know you're going to break my leg and I know it's going to hurt. And I know I'm going to go through a process. But when he broke the the lamb's leg, he knew where the lamb went. The lamb didn't go back limping. He can't walk, but on three legs. That's not what happened. When the shepherd broke his leg to teach him the lesson, don't run away again. You're going to get eat up. He picked him up. And put him on his shoulders around his neck. And he carried him until the leg healed. He got the closest relationship with the shepherd. Even though he was going through some stuff. That's why David says this purge me with hyssop that I shall be clean wash me and I shall be wider than so let my let me hear the joy of gladness let the bones that you have broken rejoice create in me a new heart a clean heart oh God and renew a right spirit within me cast me not away from your presence and take not your holy spirit from me restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with your willing spirit he was saying I'm coming to tell you he's not going to reject you he's not going to break your leg and say I told you not to run away again. I'm going to leave you here for for the other animals to come and eat. No, he's going to pick you up. He says, give me a willing spirit. Give me a willing heart to be recreated and to learn a lesson. Because it's going to be a little painful for a little while. Any of you ever made terrible decisions that the pain didn't go away instantly? But God sustained you. It's because you were around his neck because he was carrying you. And he was saying to that little lamb, he was going, I tried to teach you when I bopped you the first time. And I tried to teach you when I bopped you the second time. But you kept getting closer and closer to danger. And I had to do something radical because you were going to get eat up. And I loved you so much that it broke my heart, but I'd rather walk with a broken heart with you than to have a broken heart leaving you the way you were because the way you were was leading you to destruction. And David's saying, God, you're the only source I have because I can't go back and undo it. I can't unsay it. So will you create in me? Can I learn from my failure? Are you going to reject me? Of course not. Are you going to leave me? No. All those things that, God, that the enemy tells you God will do if he ever finds out about what you really did and what you really do. I'm going to give you a secret. He already knows. And he loves you in spite of it. But loves you so much that he, wants, he will refuse to leave you in that condition. Why? Listen to the last verse of the psalm. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will will return to you. Amy's about to lead us in worship. and So let me tie a bow on the sermon. I stand before you like David. I'm a man that has tried to hide things. because I was struggling with the symptoms. Most of you know my testimony, know that I used to get high, used to get drunk, and used to be with a lot of people. And I found all of those things would only provide temporary enjoyment, and I would sink further and further into guilt and shame. And it felt like I ended up a million miles away from God. And I would always try to to correct some things. I'd say, okay, I'm not going to drink for a while. And I wouldn't drink for a while. Those were the symptoms. There was a broken place on the inside of me that needed to be healed that I was trying to cover and hide with all this other stuff. And finally, one night on the beach... I had come to the end of myself and I just said, you know what, God, I'm, I'm tired of hiding. Here's who I really am. I've done this. I've said that. I've participated in this. I'm not proud of it, but this is who I am. What say you? Because the enemy had always told me in my ear, if you ever really, God only knows you as the preacher's kid. And if he ever finds out you're this, he'll abandon you and leave you. He will reject you and you will go to hell. There's nothing further than the truth. Because the moment I quit hiding, I found myself being picked up put around his shoulders and he started healing the stuff that was on the inside of me that I quit hiding there was one thing you know David says it's a process there was one thing that was harder than any other it wasn't drugs, it wasn't alcohol it wasn't partying all the time the hardest thing for me was my language it had become a part of me about every third word was an F word when I cussed I I, I did it wholeheartedly (laughs) and I remember the moment that the Holy Spirit started healing that in my life because I'd, I'd, I'd go for a while and I'd be really good. And then I'd say four or five, I'd get mad. Say four or five good cuss words. I'd be like, oh God, I'm sorry. Don't run away from me. I'm like David, don't run away from me. Don't cast me. I, I'm messing up. Uh, you know, and by the time I got through saying I'm sorry, I was cussing again. I'm sorry, God, I'm sorry. And finally God said, hey, I know you cuss. And I love you. But why don't you start listening to how I talk? Because if you hang out with me long enough, you're going to start saying the words that I say. what God wants to do with you if you quit hiding. Wonder what God wants you to quit carrying if you reveal it, if you run to Him and not away from Him. Let's worship.
1: Oh Yeah.
0: Doesn't it feel good to be in the presence of God? And He already knew that none of us were perfect, and we all probably have a little something we're hiding. And He came anyway. He heard you sing. Worship. Will you bow your head and close your eyes for a moment? Whether you're in your living room. Whether you're driving in a car or whether you're here in this building. A lot of us were hearing the same things that I told you about that I was hearing. If God really knows who you are, He's gonna reject you. He won't let you be His Son, He won't won't allow that. And I would try so hard to change myself so I could get ready to get prepared and then I found out all of that was wasted time because I never could fix myself and finally when I finally quit hiding and I opened up and I said God here's who I really am do you want me and him saying son I've always loved you I've known everything you've ever done I know who you've done it with I know how many times you've said it and I love you but I can change you. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, maybe you're here, maybe you're behind the camera, and it's time to come out of hiding. And it's time for us to say, God, here I am. Will you receive a person like me? And the answer is going to be yes. So if you're here and you don't know Christ as your Savior, And it's that moment where you want to just quit hiding. You're going to tell the truth. You're going to say, "This is who you who you're getting." I guarantee you, you're going to hear him say, "Yes, I'll, I'll take you." If that's you, will you raise your hand so I know who I'm praying with? Thank you. Wow, one, two, three. Keep them up for a moment so I can see. let's pray. While I'm praying, if you raised your hand, you're going to ask the Lord to be the Lord of your life. You're going to ask him, you're going to confess your sins. You're going to believe he is faithful to forgive you of your sins, that he's the son of God, that he, his price uh, of payment with the shedding of his blood on the cross was enough for all that you have ever sinned and all you ever will sin. And by the authority of his resurrection, he lives so you could live also. So while I'm praying, I can't pray for you, but I can certainly pray with you. So let's pray together right now. Father, as these men and women that raised their hand are right now coming out of hiding. They're saying, God, here I am. I, I, I want to follow you. I, I want to be, I, I want to learn how, how you talk. I want to learn your actions. I want to know who you are. So it'll transform who I am. God, you didn't reject me and you didn't reject anybody else. You didn't reject any of those that raised their hand. Matter of fact, right now you are redeeming them. That means that you are buying them back. You are bringing them to the original purposes you created them to be. And so, Father, right now the Bible says our sins are as far as the east is from the west. So they don't have to live one more minute of guilt or shame. Right now the Bible says they're a new creation. And so, Father, we celebrate coming out of hiding. We we come out and we rejoice because the Bible says, whom the Son has set free is free indeed. And no longer are we chained to our past. And no longer are we chained to our yesterday. And no longer do we have to go back to that one moment where we failed miserably. You're bigger than our failure. And I give you the praise, honor, and glory in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. amen. Can we give God an ovation of praise? Amen. Now, you don't have to raise your hand for this one. You can if you want to. I'm going to raise my hand. But even after I've been saved, there's things that waste so much of my time trying to maintain, trying to keep it hidden. And when I realize God already knows doesn't distract detract from my position as being saved but man it becomes so tiring to hide that little thing so maybe it's time to let it go reveal it whatever that is for you i'm gonna let mine go so i don't know if you want to join me in raising your hands, but i got some stuff i, I want to reveal so I don't have to worry about the maintenance of hiding it. So I'm going to raise my hand. Amen? There's a few of you raising your hand. So let's go to that same shepherd that teaches the lamb. Washes it. I love that part. I'm, I'm like, God, I got something stuck in my fur back here. I can't reach it. And he's like, oh, I got that. I can wash that out. Let's pray together. Father, here we are. Standing before you as your children. But God, just because we're saved doesn't mean that sometimes we try to hold on to something or try to hide it. I know I've been guilty of that. And so, God, it takes so much effort to try to keep it from you, even though you already know. So, God, we're here as your people just giving it all to you. There's no no more need to hide. Here it is. We lay it at your feet. We're going to walk away and we're going to let you take care of that. And we want you to work like you did in David, creating us a new heart. Revive the spirit within us. That we no longer have any need to hide anything. And We give you the praise, honor and glory. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great afternoon.